This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday edition of the Ringer NFL Show. As always, I'm your host, Ben Solak, out here in unprecedented podcasting waters. That is week 18 of the NFL season, yet undiscovered territory. Uh, Friday show has been uh, a little uh, ramshackle, a little bit uh, slapped together the last couple weeks with holidays, with vacation, with absences. It is back. Final one of the regular season, whole crew, the inimitable, Kayla Jones and Steven Ruiz. Fellas, how are we feeling about the uh, free extra week of football? Uh, I could do without it. <laughs> Ready to move on. <laughs> it feels like I haven't been on the show in like a month. I think like as a trio, it's probably been a few weeks now at this point, which, you know, anything, any, anything different, anything different? Nope. The good teams are still good, but they also lose games a lot. It means it's possible to figure out who they actually are. For the listeners, I pulled the AB two weeks ago. We were recording. I took my shirt off. I left the recording, but then Ben and Kaylin convinced me to come back. Now I'm back, ready for the stretch run. <laughs> a little bit more forgiving than Bruce Arians. You know, it's been a, quite a season when that happened. We were all like, "Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Why not?" At this point, uh, Buccaneers not a feature team as they have their playoff situations uh, secured. However, we have a lot of teams with a lot of playoff leverage on the docket. We're on our usual so- show structure which is games of the week, games which need games, and then also give me a reason. Um, but this week it's kind of more like games with two playoff teams and then games with like one playoff team and then games that might be also have some playoff teams that don't really matter, plus also the games where there are no playoff teams. That's kind of how an uh, adjusted schedule for Week 18 is going to roll for us. With that said, there are two really good, close, hotly contested, and very important games for our Game of the Week segment. That is Chargers at Raiders, which is the Sunday Night Football game, and then 49ers at Rams. I want to start with Sunday Night Football because this is the one pure, true win-and-you-are-in game this week. A winner of Chargers-Raiders makes it in the AFC playoff picture. Obviously, uh, there's a way that you could have no winner and they both make it. Talk about that a little bit later. Steven, this game is yours. Uh, who do we expect to come out of this one on top? What are we looking for in this matchup? This is a spoiler alert. I'm expecting the Chargers to win. I would just pick my jaw up off the floor. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be close either. I went back and watched the week four game. I know these are two different. These are 
vastly different teams, especially for Las Vegas. They have a different coach. But I think there was a lot you could take away from the Chargers offense, Raiders defense matchup. And the one thing you could take away is Gus Bradley's going to play cover three against Justin Herbert, and the seams are going to be wide open. Yeah. And if he could hit those seam routes, and if Joe Lombardi actually calls plays that attack those seams, it's the Chargers might put up 42 points, man. There's that famous quote, which I think is Nick Saban referring to Dan Marino, where Saban reported that Dan said, uh, if they're playing cover three, everything's open, right? Which is just a, a, a delightful way of, of, of talking about specifically what you're trying to do when you're running cover three. So I want to ask you, Stephen, like, why? Why is Gus Bradley constantly running cover three? And why is everything open against cover three, at least in the joking Dan Marino way? What Nick Saban said was, when you're playing Marino, that break on the ball shit doesn't work. And that applies to Justin Herbert. Wow, we have a Justin Herbert to Dan Marino comp at Steven's first pod back in like a month. <laughs> Shocking. Welcome to 2022. Glad you haven't changed, man. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, what he's talking about is playing zone defense, spot drop zone defense, where the, the defenders are reading the quarterback's eyes and they're waiting for him to throw the ball. Once he throws the ball, then they break to the receiver and try to make a play on the ball. That's hard to do when the ball gets there in a millisecond, which it does with Justin Herbert when he's throwing it like Dan Marino. I will say this about that week four game. The Chargers offense wasn't great. It was one of Justin Herbert's least, uh, like, it wasn't that efficient for him. It was, he finished with a positive EPA, but it wasn't one of his better games. And the reason why is they couldn't block uh, Ngakwe or Max Crosby. They didn't have time to attack those seams. Right, exactly. But the plays were there. Like, Jared Cook was getting open all game. Mike Williams was getting open. If Herbert had an extra second, they would have scored 40 points in the first game. Now, I don't know if the Raiders' pass rush is where it was back then, and I think the Chargers have adjusted their offense a little bit, and I think they're more capable of ta- of attacking downfield. Remember, at the beginning of the year, we were saying, why aren't they throwing the ball further downfield? Well, I think they're doing that now. So, so I think this matchup it's not going to be as close as it was in week four when it was a 14 point matchup. And even that score is kind of misleading. I really don't think this is a competitive game at all. Right. I remember that Raiders defensive front writing about it a couple weeks into the season and saying like, this is sick. This is awesome. Like Yannick Ngakwe, who's always been like really talented is playing really, really well. He was like top 15, top 10 and pressure rate, pass rush, win rate, whatever. And Max Crosby, who like had a really nice rookie season that was a little bit more quiet as a sophomore was like top two in everything, like sacks, pressures, pressure rate, what have you. The thing was, is that it was that, that was the whole ship. That was the kit and the caboodle right there. It was Crosby and uh, Gakwe were dominating. Those were not players that mapped to dominate yearly to year, right? Like if, if a defensive line was doing that and they had Bosa on one side and Garrett on the other, you'd be like, yeah, they'll probably do this for the rest of the season. When it's in Gakwe and Crosby, you kind of like, all right, I don't know if this is going to be sustained. And that's the thing is the defensive line is still the strength of the Raiders. The pass rush is still the strength there in, 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 with, with, with the Raiders defense. They made some improvements in the back and whatever, but it's still built to win with that front four. And that front four is still playing well. It's just not at the level at which it was when this Raiders defense felt like it could be legitimate in that first month of the season. The other thing is the Chargers offensive line's gotten better. Not necessarily because they've gotten guys back. Like Corey Lindsley has been a full participant this week. He's going to play after I had some back time this last week. But their injury is forcing guys like uh, Scott Questenberry, whose name I can never say, uh, Storm Norton, Trey Pipkins out on the field. Well, you, you got to settle in. Takes a couple weeks for the 
backups to kind of like figure it out and get there. And now they're, they're kind of done playing musical chairs and they've been a little bit better uh, in general. Like Kaylin, I'm sure you know this with the, with the chargers and, and being there in LA, uh, they're a team that is getting much healthier right at the correct time, right? They had some big inabilities this past month, and now it feels like this is the healthiest we've seen the Chargers roster in a while. Yeah, no, you make a really good point about the health. I think Lindsley getting back is massive for the offensive line. And then even Austin Eckler, man, like he was banged up, you know, over the past month, and he had arguably his best game of the season, you know, against the Raiders in that first matchup back in like, what, week four, week five. So, I mean, it, the Chargers, like you're saying, they're, they're getting healthy at the right time. I think their offense, like you guys have both mentioned, there's much more verticality to it. Um, I know I saw Steven like tweeting some of the, the clips from Herbert's performance. And just I, I remember some of those balls that he's able to layer, especially against covered through defenses, like between the seams, he's going to find a way to, to hit home runs. You know, even if he's batting only 250, he's going to hit home runs. And I don't know if the Raiders are going to be able to stop that. And here, here's the real problem with cover three as it relates to this specific matchup. And you could see it in this in the first game. There are certain ways you could play cover three. If if the offensive formation is balanced of two receivers on each side, it could be a tight end and a receiver. But and if you if you play spot drop, which means those those uh, flat defenders aren't carrying the the slot receivers up the field, the seams are wide open, and Herbert's going to hit those every time. Now, if you do carry the seams. Then all of a sudden, Austin Eckler's one-on-one with a linebacker out in space, breaking out to the flat, and then that's a problem. Or you have a one-on-one situation with Mike Williams, who's going to win those battles every time with an undersized cornerback. And then if they go three by one, so three receivers to one side, uh, one receiver to the other side, the Raiders, what they did in the first game was ask a linebacker, usually Denzel Perryman, to run with a slot receiver running down the field, running a deep crosser down the field. That's another issue. So any way you try to play cover three against this team, it's going to be an issue for the Raiders. And then on third down, they played a lot of cover two, but they did it while only rushing three. And I don't think you can do that and still get pressure on this team, especially how they're playing now. Maybe that worked back in week four. It's not going to work this time around. So I really don't know what they can do to match up with the Chargers. That's a problem because I was going to ask the how do the Raiders win this question to Steven. Now I feel like I've asked it to Kalen because Steven was already preempted the question by saying he doesn't know. But I think, right, generally you have, okay, if we get good Derek Carr, Darren Waller's been limited in practice, but he's potentially back for this game. Maybe we get into shootout territory. Is that the only avenue by which we feel the Raiders are winning this game? I guess question to both of you. Yes. Yeah, but I'd be, I'd, I'd... I don't know. I, I feel like y- you want to limit again. Like I- I'm of the mind that you always want to limit these explosive passing games and like s- explosive offenses by giving them limited chances with the football. And if the Raiders were able to somehow like hammer the football, keep possession, limit Justin Herbert in that offense, and then if they make mistakes because they're they're prone to it, like there's times when they go three and out and it's really awkward. But I mean, it, it, I I don't know. I, I don't see a pathway for the Raiders winning either. I, the more I think about it, and right, I agree. Like I like the Raiders pieces i like the fact that waller's back Renfro's playing great that's awesome they haven't scored more than 24 points since week 12 against the cowboys that was thanksgiving now some of that's without waller if waller's back he's 100 percent it's a little bit of a different cat but still like if you're if you're not scoring more than 24 man i'm not sure you're beating the chargers right that's just where i'm at with that offense right now and waller was there in that first matchup and they did not move the ball in the chargers like they didn't score a lot of points they didn't they weren't efficient and if you look at the Week 16 game when they played another coaching staff from that Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio tree, they played the Broncos two weeks ago, 
They had a lot of problems moving the ball against them, and I think Staley's going to look at Fangio's gameplay and replicate that. And that, that involved a lot of doubling Hunter Renfro, which beca- it's harder to do when Darren Waller is out there. But when you have Derwin James, it becomes a little less harder to do because you could just ask Derwin James to guard Darren Waller. That's the wild thing about about having Derwin is we talk all this about Darren Waller. And then it's like, oh, wait, wait, 33 plays the other team. <laughs> Maybe none of this matters as much as we thought. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and then the other issue is the Raiders aren't very good at running the football. And exactly. that's how you beat the Chargers. So, yeah. And we didn't even talk about this offensive line going up against Bosa. Um, and, and again, talking about health, this, this Chargers defensive front has been criticized and beleaguered and appropriately so. But uh, Bosa back for this game. Justin Jones back. He played last week as well. Brandon Fajoko back as well. They are getting some of their depth back. I, I've always been a Chargers at all believer. Obviously, Herbert believer as well. Kind of a narrow view. That's more so if it's Stevens thing. I've always really liked the Chargers in general. Um, and to me, right, this feeling like this team is getting healthy. So I think we're, we're consensus Chargers. That bodes poorly. I think it's a three-possession game, three-score game. Holy smokes. In a, in a win and in game, really? Jeez, yeah, I'm not saying that. <laughs> well, well uh, if if that is the case, you'll get the opportunity to take a long victory lap during Sunday Night Football as Herbert makes it in the playoffs. And I, I've said this on other shows, man, if there's a team in the AFC I don't want to see in the playoffs, I do not want to see the Chargers. Just, just never give me this sort of an offense where it's like, you can blink and they've scored 14. That's so scary. Uh, and so Chargers, if they make it to the playoffs, uh, they got to handle business against the Raiders, feel like a legitimate team down the stretch. On the other side of the conference, or I guess the other side of the league in the other conference, we have 49ers at Rams, uh, a game in which seeding is up for grabs. Uh, the Rams obviously have to secure, have already secured NFC West uh, win, but they do have to see where they fall, one, two, three, four. And then the 49ers uh, are, are in a position where if they win, they are in. The New Orleans Saints have the ability to leapfrog the Niners in the event that they beat the Falcons and the Niners lose. We don't know who's playing quarterback here for the 49ers, which makes previewing this game very fun. I give that job to you, Caleb. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see who's going to start a quarterback. Um, Jim Garoppolo has got a you know torn ligaments in his right thumb. Uh, Devo Samuel, we're recording on Friday morning, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific. So if more news pops up, we'll see. But as of this time, the only uh, update that we have is Debo Samuel saying that Jimmy, quote, looks like Jimmy. And I'm sorry, he's had a fine stretch, but if Jimmy looks like Jimmy. I'm about to say, do we think Jimmy looks like Jimmy is a compliment? Yes, no. <laughs> I don't think it's meant to be a good thing. Anyway, so like last week when I watched Trey Lance like, play, like I, I, I don't see him doing anything that Jimmy G wasn't doing within the offense. When it comes down to the conservatism, like, we hardly see any passes behind the line of scrimmage in part because, like, his accuracy behind the line of scrimmage isn't that good, but that's kind of, you know, here or there. But we're seeing him rip the ball over the middle, and that's where Jimmy lives. So he can do what Jimmy does. And on top of that, he's been able to push the ball to the perimeter down the field. We saw multiple throws, you know, to the seams and down the sidelines. I think when you talk about what he offers in terms of mobility and being able to push the ball downfield, I mean, the pop plays really are awesome, but the subtle things that Trey Lance was able to do in the second half of that matchup in terms of, you know, managing the pocket, like being able to complete passes within the short game, you know, that weren't behind the line of scrimmage. I never saw him panic. And I don't know, like, I, I think the Niners really should consider rolling with Trey Lance going into this matchup. I know that in the first one, they were able to lean on the running game, but uh, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Like, what do you guys think should happen here? Because when I watch Lance, 
I see, you know, everything that the Niners offense wants to be. So let's re-remind ourselves what the Niners have been under Kyle Shanahan against Sean McVay's Rams. They beat them 31 to 10 uh, on, I want to say Sunday night football. Maybe it was Monday night football. It was a primetime game uh, earlier this season. This was kind of, this was like the Rams had the Titans lost and they had the Niners lost. It was like right before their bye. They were just trying to figure out how to get Odell integrated. They were kind of in like a weird spot, but still, uh, this is where the uh, the Niners, if you remember, opened up with the 18-play, 93-yard, 11-minute scoring drive where the first quarter was just like over. And everybody was like, whoa, that went fast. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, 27 carries for 91 yards. Debo Samuel, 5 carries for 36 yards. Jeff Wilson, 10 carries for 28 yards. The Niners as a team had 44 carries for 156 yards and a touchdown. Jimmy had two scores. Uh, and they just sat on the Rams for four quarters. They just built a lead and then just sat there. Kyle Posey of Niners Nation wrote about the fact that the Rams have had uh, first half deficits in six of the last eight games. One of the two in which they were leading was against the Jaguars, which like doesn't, that's like one and a half. That doesn't count. That's not even real. Lance Garoppolo aside, is there a way that the Niners, like against this Rams defense, has not been good against the run? Sebastian Joseph Day is still injured. You asked me like, what do they do? I wonder like, does quarterback matter in the sense of like, if they're able to run it this well against this front, like they did it with Jimmy, they can run the same way with Trey. Why, like, I, I don't want to say why do we care about quarterback? We know why we care about quarterback is what we do. But it very much feels like, like, when I go and I try to find that answer of, like, okay, what do the Rams do differently? What can the Niners not do in the running game? It's hard to figure out how the Rams stop what happened to them earlier this season. So I... Oh, I forgot to make this point. I forgot to make this point. Shanahan's won five straight against McVay doing exactly this. Right. Like, this is not even like a one-off. Five straight, they, yep. They've always done this. So why is it going to stop Stephen? Go ahead. So I think Kalen's question is a good one to ask. I don't know if it necessarily matters for this game like Ben was alluding to. I think it's a more important question for the playoffs when they're not playing the Rams. But I would go with Jimmy for this game in particular because, one, he is going to hit the layups, which we don't know about Lance yet. That's the one thing that he's not doing in the offense. And then, two, I think them being in their traditional run game where the runs are hitting at a certain point from under center and the timing of the runs – is different from when you're reading a player and when it's just Jimmy just handing it off. I think that's one of the big reasons why they've been so effective, and I wouldn't see Kyle changing that up if he doesn't have to. But going into the playoffs, I mean, for me, this is very simple. You ask yourself, is this Niners team winning a Super Bowl with Jimmy G? I think all three of us would say no. I think most people would say no. Right. Are they winning it with Trey Lance? Probably not, but who knows? Maybe he goes on like a Kaepernick 2012 style run in the playoffs and they make the Super Bowl. I'm not ruling that out. I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't know what this team's ceiling is with Trey Lance. I know what it is with Jimmy G. I would not put the likelihood that they make a Super Bowl with Lance higher than they make it with Jimmy. Well, I think it's zero with Jimmy. And I'm saying I don't know with Trey Lance, which is better than zero. <laughs> potentially higher than zero. No, I, I see your point. Here's here's the very tricky thing with, with talking about the Niners quarterback situation. They're like the the debate for a rookie quarterback. Do you start him or do you sit him? Has never been, in my opinion, more clear with a player like Lance, who had one year of starting experience at the FCS level and then played one game in 2020 and then was drafted by the 49ers. You can do as much work as you want with him on the bench, in the room, on the chalkboard. And I think you should. I don't mind not playing him. But you are only going to get him to a point where eventually you have to play him and understand he's not going to play well in that context because he just does not have enough ingrained reps 
Like you just need to do it enough at NFL speed to be comfortable with it. And there's just no way to replicate that, facilitate that, recreate that in a practice setting. So to me, that was an inevitability that Lance was going to have to develop while playing. The Niners got him out there for like a game and a half when Jimmy was injured. Cool. Whatever. And then Jimmy comes back and they beat the Bears. They beat the Rams. They beat the Jaguars. They beat the Vikings. They beat the Bengals. They beat the Falcons. They have one fast math, six of their last nine. And that's been with Jimmy. That has got them back in the playoff picture. But now because they're back in the playoff picture, we're asking ourselves, okay, well, how far can this team go with Jimmy in the playoffs? When he's the reason they got there. So it's like they had an opportunity to develop Lance because if they put him in there, they probably wouldn't be in this position in the first place in terms of winning enough games to make it to the playoffs. But then he would have developed, which would have been better for the future. It's a very hard balance to talk about and strike, in my opinion. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold up. We got to rewind a second. You said that Jimmy G is the reason why they're in the why they're in the playoff picture. I mean, he was there when they were winning <laughs> the games. Thirty-three points against the Bears, thirty-one against the Rams, thirty against the Jaguars, thirty-four against the Vikings, twenty-six against the Bengals, thirty-one against the Falcons. Their offense has been working the way it's supposed to work with right. Jimmy at the helm. So I understand why there wasn't an urgency to shoehorn Lance in and lo and behold with injuries in the secondary and 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 inavailabilities at running back they've been able to get to nine and seven and they're in a position to make the playoffs so like job well done kyle shanahan but also i do wonder what the cost here is in terms of 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 lance not getting the reps because you're gonna have to play him next year in week one presuming you're still on the trade jimmy plan and you're probably not going to be good for the first couple weeks because of that i'm just saying it's a difficult calculus i think mina kimes tweeted out I think it was on Sunday. She pointed out how Lance started slowly in his two starts and then kind of came on in the second half. And maybe that that's a sign that it's him catching up to NFL speed within the game. And I think we wouldn't have this lower view of what Lance's floor is this season if he did get a couple starts in a row and got used to NFL speed and didn't have to do it in the heat of an NFL game. And that's something you were alluding to earlier, Ben, like, how I know like making the playoffs matters and it's good and you want to win as many games as possible, but man, you traded all those first round picks for this guy. He's supposed to be your future. I really think they're wasting time. Yeah. That, and that's, what's tricky about this game is if I feel like I I'm going to have to start Lance in the playoffs, I'm playing him in this game because I want him to be the guy that wins this game such that I make it. If I don't feel like I have a, that, that if I feel like I can make, I can make a run with Jimmy, which I would say they probably do in the building then yeah, you put Jimmy out here. But things get really weird. If you play Jimmy at 75%, you don't get that first half lead. And all of a sudden, you got to throw it in the second half and the dude can't grab a football. Are we going to pull Lansing off the bench in a deficit to win and in playoffs? Like that's where figuring out who starts here is really, really tough. If Jimmy is, is like, if he's less than 70, it's very clear. If he's over 90, it's clear. If he's in the middle, it's really, really tough because you put Jimmy out there, run the ball, build your lead, win the game. You don't have to worry about it. But once you go behind, you don't want him throwing it. You put the rookie in there. Now things get really, really weird. Exactly. Well, Garoppolo had four passes that traveled beyond four yards in that first matchup. And yeah, you guys nailed everything. Like the big concern that I have with Lance again was the slow start because McVay, nine times out of 10, if he has a halftime lead, he's going to win. And it's a really big game. That's a lot of pressure to be throwing someone with you know, no experience really. So, again, I mean, like, you'd be able to lean on that running game. Um, but, I mean, on the flip side, real quick, like, the other question I wanted to get in with you, you guys was, like, what's going on with Matthew Stafford? Because I was willing to vouch that, you know, November, no win November for them, 
and for him was just a down month. But, you know, aside from like two or three weeks ago, it's been pretty inconsistent. And against a Raven secondary that's really, really beat up, you know, we didn't really see him get going until the second half again. We saw the chaotic, you know, self-imploding uh, pick sixes, you know, reemerge last week that he usually does. So from your guys' perspective, from X and O's, like what's going on with him? Man, from X's and O's, good quarterback, good offense, good work. Four of the 55 snaps he takes, he chooses violence. He just goes straight, just straight evil chaotic, chaotic evil. There's, listen, so like the really bad pick six, miscommunication, like they talked about it, whatever. But he is unwilling to live within his own mortality. He is unwilling to accept the reality of throws he cannot make. And I would be the exact same way if I could make the throws Matt Stafford makes. This is the beauty of Mahomes, right? It's that Mahomes can make every throw in the book, does make every throw in the book, but then occasionally doesn't, especially this year in which they've kind of kind of had to change that offense. Rodgers as well, right? Rodgers has like the lowest interception percentage of all quarterbacks in the history of whatever. He can make every throw in the book, but he chooses not to make low percentage throws, even though he's one of the few people on earth that could make them because he understands there's going to be another down. Matt Stafford is playing for his life on every single play, and there's just no need for that sometimes. But it's how he is. It's how he's wired, right? I remember we were having a big, like, Jimmy G argument on Twitter, like, a month ago because of EPA. And everybody was like, Jimmy's good because of EPA. It's like, yeah, but you watch him and he's bad. And, like, Stafford gets the same thing where it's like film watchers are like, he's good. And then the stats guy's like, but he's bad. Some players are inconsistent. Some players have high peaks and low valleys. Stafford is definitely better than Jimmy. But also they are the same in that they are inconsistent players. They have very high peaks and they have very low valleys. Uh, So with Stafford... I honestly feel about the Rams, not dissimilarly to how I do with the Colts to a lesser degree this year, where it's like, yeah, that's a playoff team. But I don't know if that quarterback plays three good games in a row. And I don't know what happens when we get the bad game. When does it come? Against which team does it come? How late in the game? How early in the game? Yada, 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 yada. So, like, from an X's and O's perspective, Rams offense is sick. They should change absolutely nothing. But they, you know, they made their bet with Stafford. You made the trade. Now you got to lie in it. You knew who this guy was. We had 10 years of him at the NFL level. This wasn't a surprise. This is who he is. He makes shockingly poor decisions when there's no need to. And yeah, I agree. They made their bed. But let's just point out the fact that this bed is way comfier than the Jarrett Goff bed they had the last couple of years. It's a nice bed. It's not the best bed, but it's a nice bed. And one thing I will say about the uh, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers thing is like those guys have had growing pains in offenses. They they were given time in their offense to kind of adjust. I don't think Matthew Stafford has necessarily been given that time. So I'm not surprised that he struggled and I'm not surprised he hasn't adjusted to this new life as a quarterback in a loaded offense on a loaded team that's going to win that can win even if he plays poorly. Like he just came off a decade of he had to play well or the Lions were going to lose and they were going to get blown out. So I'm not surprised it's taking a little bit of time. I think maybe next year he's a more consistent player. But still, I mean, I can I can never, like, rule them out from being Super Bowl contenders because I know what their, what their ceiling looks like, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Matthew Stafford puts together three straight games. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he puts together eight straight games because we already saw that earlier this year. It's not a Carson Wentz situation where it's like, oh, he's bad and sometimes he plays good games. It's, oh, Matthew Stafford is good, and every once in a while he goes on bad streaks. I think that's the big difference.
Yeah, that's why. Like, yeah, like I said, it's similar feeling to a lesser degree where it's just like, I feel like I've got, I've got a Russian roulette revolver to my head anytime I'm back in this team. Where it's like, all right, if we just fall in the wrong color here, then we got, we got a shot. Uh, and, and that's the scary thing about the Rams. Like you said, though, like figuring it out, which is very weird. Like we're in week 18, two teams that are probably going to make the playoffs. And they're both like still figuring stuff out. It's just a reminder of how, of how tough it is, how thin the margins are in the league. Let me take the Russian roulette analogy a step further. Okay. Russian roulette with Carson Wentz is when you click the, when you uh, pull the trigger and nothing comes out, just nothing comes out. When you pull the trigger, nothing comes out with Matthew Stafford. You still get like a rush of dopamine because he's so good. Like the bad, you still get a bullet to your head when it's bad. <laughs> just the good feels better. All right. Uh, I want prediction for the winner. I also want prediction for the 49ers quarterbacks. I feel like that's necessary in terms of making the prediction for the winner. For me personally, uh, I expect the Niners to win it. I think the Rams have been super great down the stretch, and I trust Shanahan against McVay. Uh, I do think Lance starts because I don't believe in fractured thumb Jimmy coming back in two weeks. To me, that's way too fast. Yeah, I go with Lance starting and uh, 49ers win. I'm going to go with Lance starting and Rams win. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'll be very interested to hear your opinion on one of our games, which you need games, AKA our games with at least one playoff team. Uh, and that's going to be our second segment here. We have seven games. I want to say in this segment, very heavy week because there's no bye weeks. And obviously a lot of teams still with potential playoff of movement, shaking qualification to be included. Let us begin as always uh, by Steven canceling a team. I was going to say the final cancel of the team of the, of the season, but I don't even think we'll probably cancel teams in the playoffs, right? Like that, we're never we canceling teams prepping for Super Bowl week. Just going to cancel the expected loser. Uh, Steven, please go ahead. Cancel the team for us. I'm canceling the Dolphins, and I'm surprised I hadn't been able to cancel them earlier in the season. And really, I'm canceling Tua. I'm, I feel like you definitely have at least once. I haven't. We reviewed the list of teams I canceled uh, yesterday in the planning meeting, and the Dolphins never popped up. And by the way, Pretty good list. The only team I missed out on was the Titans. Every other team has missed the playoffs. So we're gonna we're gonna, we'll publicize that list at the end of week eighteen, and it'll be a good little reminder of how far we've come. But like three weeks ago, I would have been like, yeah, keep two around for the duration of his rookie contract. After the Titans game, I'm sorry, I don't think they can go into 2022 with this guy as like the entrenched starter. You at least need competition. That game was ugly from a quarterbacking perspective. You saw all of the the weaknesses in his game. His arm strength was clearly an issue on a couple throws. His pocket presence broke down at times. It's just like all the things you want in a franchise quarterback, he has not shown in the games that matter the most. And this goes back to last year. They went into Week 17 last year with a chance to make the playoffs, and he he threw three interceptions against the Bills' backups. 
He had a 15 QBR. Somehow this year, he was even worse. He had an 8 QBR. Yeah. So he's getting worse in the big games. I, d- I don't know how you can trust him going forward. I don't know. There's definitely a you don't want to be afraid of your quarterback in key games. Like, you know, uh, heuristic in terms of evaluating quarterbacks. Like, they either are the, are the guy or they aren't. And, like, with Tua, you can uh, – Miami would never say it, but you can just tell in terms of how the team is built and what they try to do. That when they need to win a game, they do not want to rely on him. And that's not good, right? There's, there's, there's a lot more nuanced quarterback evaluation that goes into it, but that in and of itself is just scary. It's very sad that last year the Dolphins went to the offseason with two as our guy, but then also tried to move heaven and earth to trade for Deshaun Watson. And you know what they're going to do this offseason? They're going to say that two is their guy. And you know what they're going to do behind closed doors? They're going to move heaven and earth, try to trade maybe for somebody else, but also very willing to move for Deshaun Watson. I think it's telling that the first deep shot that they took in that game against the Titans was thrown by Mike Desicki and not Tua. And then the second deep shot was thrown by... Jacoby Brissett, <laughs> also not too right. uh, right. <laughs> on the little fake third and goal, uh, third and one nonsense. Um, yeah, no, appropriate. They are uh, home against the Patriots. A Dolphins win is one of the conditions for the Ravens making the playoffs. Other than that, it's just the Patriots uh, trying to handle business on the off chance that the Bills lose, and then they're able to push uh, up into the AFC East winner slot. So that's Patriots-Dolphins. Uh, next up, Kalen, this one from you. Timeline therapy for Titans, uh, who just played the Dolphins at the Houston Texans. Yeah, first of all, shout out to our Titans fans who listens, because y'all are right. Like, we keep providing reasons for why the Titans are not as a good, good enough team as you might think, but they keep winning, and they're the number one seed. So, I mean, kudos to them for their persistence and being right. I think everyone's right here, but the Titans are the ones who are producing the results. So we're all idiots. We don't know anything. I'm not. <laughs> I, I, I will not move off this position. It's like the Josh Allen thing last year. <laughs> Here's what it is. If we, if we believed as a people that wins and losses accurately reflected team strength wins do not matter we would not have power rankings <laughs> we would not like that would be not be a thing of content we would not have dvoa we would not have fpi we would not have just arguments in general like we know all together that wins losses is very good and it's what you get measured by come playoff time but in terms of actual team strength it is not the best predictor that's facts and so it is it is to uh, the Titans and Brable's credit that they have won the amount of games they've won under the context under which they've won them. With that said, it doesn't change my opinion on the quality of the team, which is that they are clearly a playoff team, they are getting healthier, and they are not as good as the legitimate top tier of AFC contenders. It is fine that they're in the playoffs. It is awesome for their Super Bowl hopes that they have a bye. That's great. They got to beat the Texans order to get the bye. But still, that's awesome. But still, I'm not like, you put the Chiefs and the Titans right now on a, the, the Titans field, I'm telling you, Vegas is not going to have the Titans favored in that game. It's because we know that win-loss isn't the end-all, be-all for team strength. Yeah, but I mean, I think, like you said, I think it's a credit to Rabel. Ben Arthur from the Tennessee in this week who had a column suggesting that Rabel should be coach of the year. He definitely should be in the running. I was going to ask, would you vote Rabel coach of the year? I'd give it to him. Yeah, I think I think you have to. Again, like number one seed, they found a way to overcome all of these weird, between injuries and COVID breakouts. Like, it's... They, they've done it this year. They found a way to get them over one seed. Here's my question for those Titans fans that complain that we're we're not giving them enough respect for the I'm wins. I'm very worried about this. I, I want them to go back in time to last year, and I want to ask their opinion on the 11-0 and Steelers. 
because I guarantee you they were probably saying the same thing we're saying about the Titans. They were saying that about the Steelers at the same time. Dude, I forgot. I completely forgot about the 11 <laughs> That was That was last year. People will say we're like stat nerds and we're like care about DVOA or whatever. No, I watch them play and I don't see it. Even when they win, like even this past game against the Dolphins, they dominated. They ran all over them. Ryan Tannehill threw, threw for 180 yards and averaged like five yards per attempt. I, it just doesn't look like it does when the Chiefs are rolling. It looks like a Super Bowl team. When Even when the Bengals are rolling, it looks like a team that could, you know, compete for a Super Bowl. When the Titans are winning, it looks like some nonsense like we saw in the Rams game. I know, like, Jeffrey Simmons had a lot to do with Matthew Savard's meltdown, but it looks like that. It doesn't look like a team that is moving the ball consistently and easily. It's kind of it's very funny. We're spending way too much time rehashing Titans things we've already said. But it's very funny to me. Like if I were a Titans fan right now, the one biggest thing by a mile that I would be taking umbrage with is the fact that Jeffrey Simmons did not get an all pro recognition. He's the whole like he's not the whole thing. He right. is so integral to that defense. He's been so good. It's like, why are we getting our respect for our wins? Jeffrey Simmons, like dominated all season. You had like nobody. You couldn't have named the dudes in the secondary and you were beating the Rams because Jeffrey Simmons was just obliterating cats and he didn't get a single all pro recognition. To me, that's, that's the great Tennessee injustice that we should all be very upset about. The whole timeline therapy portion of this was from football outsiders, Aaron Chats. He tweeted on the fourth. He said the Titans would currently have the worst DVOA ever, not just for a number one seed, but also for a number one or for a number two seed. And they probably won't if they beat Houston on Sunday. And yes, that doesn't account for all the injuries, but there have been a lot of them. And then he had a follow-up tweet on the subject of the Titans and, quote, worst DVOA for a number one seed. Of the 12 worst number one seeds by DVOA since 1983, only two have lost in the divisional round. That was the 92 Steelers and the 85 Raiders. So congrats, Titans fans. Like, again... It doesn't matter if you guys are not as good as we might think you are. Right. You're probably going to get a playoff win if everything you got exactly. So it doesn't exactly. Matter. And guess what? One playoff win, if I were a Titans fan who's listening to, you know, analysts talk about how, you know, my team isn't good enough, one playoff win would be enough for me, you know, to feel like I won that argument. Let's be honest, Titans fans. It wouldn't this season wouldn't be as fun as it is for you guys if we weren't also true saying yep. the Titans all yep. season long. So you're welcome. <laughs> Listen, I've I've been here since preseason. I've been getting them ramped up from the jump. I said the defense was going to regress, and that was dumb. I I picked them to the win of the division. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that. All right, uh, we have Jets at Bills as well. As I said, uh, the Bills and the Patriots still have the number one. Uh, the, excuse me, the the AFC East crown up for contention. If the Bills win, they handle business, uh, and they're going to take that 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 divisional win. Up against the Jets, not a very uh, concerning game, not a very worrisome game. I do want to give a spoiler alert, though, to uh, all the AFC teams that are going to face the Bills, and that is that the Bills have figured out, I say with like my fingers crossed, knock on wood, spent, turn around three times and spit, the Bills have figured out the solution to their red zone issues and their short yardage issues, despite the fact that it's been plain as the nose on their face for years, and they've also like done it before, and they just don't commit to it. And that is running Josh Allen. Uh, they played the Falcons in what was an extremely sloppy game. It was 120 passing yards for Josh Allen, which was the lowest total of his entire career. He threw three interceptions for only the second time of his career. It was an objectively bad game for Josh Allen throwing the football in the snow against a Falcons secondary that does have talent in the sense that A.J. Terrell plays for them. So that like should be a huge problem. But 
they put up 29 points. They won comfortably. And the reason they did is because they ran Josh Allen a lot in key situations. He had a career high, 15 carries, 81 yards and two rushing touchdowns. Critically, both of those rushing touchdowns came on design rushing plays. Allen is not Cam Newton, but Cam has shown us what an explosive, huge body does in the quarterback running game. Like we, we know for sure that it's helpful that like, Kyler Murray can zip around like that's, that's great. Whatever. But in general, like Kyler does not initiate, take on contact. You know I mean, he goes, he gets his, and then he slides or he scampers out of bounds. Allen is a legitimate threat when he gets outside of the tackle box, like corners and safeties do not want to tackle this guy. I understand why they don't use him in the season because you'd rather just win with something else and make sure you protect your quarterback. But that Falcons game, at least I hope is a precursor to what the bills are going to do in the, actual playoffs which is when the when the going gets tough when it's third and three when it's second and goal they're going to tuck the ball with josh Allen. not a called play not a called pass brian david got to throw it whatever rpo quarterback draw they did that a little bit right against uh, against the chiefs against the titans they're going to run the ball with allen and that to me is critical if the bills who are a very very good team are going to make an afc playoff run yeah my theory on this on the not using josh allen as like a red zone weapon in the run game is that this is a front office that was in Carolina and they saw what that usage by Cam Newton led to or later in his career, the the problems it gave him, it basically took a toll on his body to the point where he couldn't throw the football like he used to. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's the coaching staff, they want to use Josh Allen as a runner, but the front office is like, we got to protect him. He's our franchise. We're paying him a billion dollars. Only use him as a runner when it matters, and that's the playoffs. And maybe the fact that we saw it in week 17 – is them just trying to get it, trying to get live reps in a game, and they're gearing up for the playoffs, and then they're gonna unleash them. That's my hope, as like some someone that likes to watch fun football. But yeah, I agree with you. This needs to happen if this team's gonna make a run in the playoffs. Also, throw a quick mea culpa in there. Um, I wrote about Zach Wilson being bad, had his best game of his career in the NFL last week against the who they play? Uh, the Bucks. Bucks. Yeah, yeah, pretty good game. It was Steven. It was a solid game. I know. I said that on the Sunday pod. It was fine, but let's not act like he didn't try to throw at least three interceptions. It was a solid game. Uh, Move forward. We usually have a a must-win game, and we'll get to that in a second. I would like to start, however, Stephen, with your must-lose game, uh, which to me is a fascinating new topic that we've added here, and I'm not sure if we ever get to use it again. But on must-lose watch, Stephen, who? I'm putting the Chiefs on must-lose watch, and I have a a galaxy brain theory that the Chiefs would be better served as the number four seed rather than the number two seed. And it's a very simple uh, theory. I just think they should try to avoid the Bengals and the Bills playing both of those teams because I don't think they match up well with the Bengals as we saw last Sunday because those corners cannot live on an island against two ball winners and Joe Burrow could just lob it up to the perimeter and they can come down with the ball. Their defense, that's not what it's built to be. So I would try to avoid that matchup no matter what. Like in the second half of that game, it wasn't like a matter of if the Bengals were going to score. It was like, how how quickly are they going to score? Like they couldn't stop them at all. Right. So we have uh, Chiefs at Broncos. The Chiefs are 11 and five. If they lose and the Bengals win against the Browns and the Bills win against the Jets, they're all 11 and six. And the Chiefs obviously don't have any tiebreakers because they've lost to literally all of these teams. Um, And so they go to the fourth seed. Presumably, they played New England in round one. Does this worry you? No, not at all. 
Mac Jones trying to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. Caleb and I just made the exact same face. Oh man, I, you guys have not watched Mac Jones play football in the last three weeks. What? Apparently, Steven. In the two games that have mattered, he was useless. I'm not exaggerating when I say he was useless. He was literally useless. And then I'm not even including the game where he threw three passes when he was actually useless. But no, I, I he can't keep up with Patrick Mahomes, man. Come on, Patriots defense. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I just I'd be scared. I'd be more scared of Bill Belichick to not have like again. It goes back to that Stafford thing, right? Where we're saying who's going to have a meltdown over three games in the playoffs, and we're playing Russian roulette. Bill Belichick is not going to have an empty, but like that that first yeah. game, he's going to come correct. And that's my thing is it, it, you're you are voluntarily electing to play Bill Belichick in round one of the playoffs. How dumb are you willing to look? Is the question here? Okay, here's another question. If we get the two seed, who are we playing then? Based on our pick for the Sunday night game, I'd rather play Mac Jones than Justin Herbert. You guys are out but of you, your mind. This is just a backdoor Justin Herbert take the whole time. Wow. Yeah. Twenty twenty two. Let me ask you this: Which path is easier, Justin Herbert, Mac Jones, Ryan Tannehill? And Josh Allen or Joe Burrow. I just learned that two of the last 12 really bad DVOA first seeds still won their freaking divisional round games. I'm not sure the Titans are as easy of an out as we think they are, Steven. Did you just forget everything you said in the last segment about the Titans? Oh, yeah, I know, but I thought I have that opinion about them. And then Kalen dropped the stat. Okay, your must-lose watch was as exciting as I thought it might be. Uh, the Chiefs are absolutely going to play to win against the Broncos, and appropriately so. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Okay, uh, Kaylin. I would like for you then to give us your must-win game of the week. This is Colts at Jaguars. Yeah, I didn't have as creative galaxy brain thought here. I mean, it's Colts-Jags. If the Colts win and the Raiders lose, you're looking at the sixth seed, and you're probably playing the Bills, who they've already beaten this year. We saw Jonathan Taylor go off earlier this year against Buffalo's defense. I mean, again, here we go, Russian roulette with quarterbacks. Is Carson Wentz going to give us good Carson Wentz or is he going to give us bad Carson Wentz? I think that's what it comes down to. My question is, is this a must-win game for Carson Wentz? Is he the quarterback if they if they don't make the playoffs next year? Ooh. Ooh look at that. Do I think mm-hmm. so? I think so, too. Contract. Right? Yeah, contract is yeah. interesting. All right, right now, if you, you Carson Wentz or Kirk Cousins? If you're, if you're Frank Wright, who would you want? Kirk Cousins. That's not even a... a a question. I love when Steven answers this question with this tone dismissive tone. Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> they just <laughs> traded for him a year ago. Okay. The Colts, absolutely a must-win watch against the Jaguars. Uh, fun fact, they have not won in Jacksonville since 2014. On the road against the Jags in the last six years, they're 0-6. One of those games was in London. The other five was in TIA Bank Stadium. For whatever reason, they cannot finish the job in Jacksonville. It would be hilarious if Trevor Lawrence, Sarah Bevel finally get a win out and they do it against the Colts and lampoon 
Indianapolis's playoff hopes. It also opens the potential for the Chargers Raiders game to tie and both the Chargers and the Raiders to make the playoffs. All the funny stuff that could possibly happen happens if the Jags beat the Colts. So honestly, must win game for the Jags. Do it for the content. I would like to see. And the Eagles pick. I mean, congrats on getting you you would get yes. A higher pick. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I have Saints at Falcons. Uh, this is, again, as we talked about, a critical game. If the Saints win, then they are into the NFC playoffs with a 49ers loss. They are currently about four and a half to five point favorites over the Falcons. I'm going to tell you a spoiler alert. They don't win this game. Uh, the Falcons are going to win. And I'll tell you why the Falcons are going to win. Because of the quarterbacks who have attempted at least 100 passes since Taysom Hill started, one quarterback has a lower EPA per, uh, EPA per play than Taysom Hill does. Do you know who it is? Say it, Steven. Say it. I don't know. Trevor Lawrence? It's Cam Newton. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. I had to do it to you, buddy. Now I'm actually going to pull an AB and take my shirt off and leave. <laughs> I'm gone. I'm out. <laughs> and it, it's a little bit tricky to find because they're three and four over their last four games. They had the loss to Dallas, um, but they beat the Jets 30 to nine. Oh, they beat the Buccaneers nine to nothing. What an incredible game, prime time. They lost to the Dolphins in the Ian Book game, right? Uh, they, 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 won that game, they lost that game 20 to 3. And then they just beat the Panthers 18 to 10. But that Jets game, the 30 points are a complete and total lie. Half of them came when the game was pretty much already decided in the second half of the fourth quarter. This team has not put out more than 15, uh, more than 17 points with Jason Hill at the helm over the last five weeks, four of which he's been the starter. Meanwhile, you know who's been like really, really good in terms of EPA per play over the last several weeks? Matt freaking Ryan who is out here with Russell Gage, potentially with Kyle Pitts out for this game, which does concern me a little bit, with no running game, and is doing his best to just will the Falcons into these wins that they do not deserve. Uh, Atlanta's not a good team, but they are the best divisional team currently positioned to ruin a divisional opponent's season by winning. And accordingly, I'm buying them, especially going up against the Taysom Hill team. I think this game is super ugly. I think it's super low scoring. And I think Matt Ryan has like a, 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 a swan song go-ahead game-winning drive. Knocks the Saints out of the playoffs. Lives in Atlanta infamy forever. And then like gets traded to the Vikings next year or something. I don't know. No, I agree with this. I I don't think it's hard to find that Taysom Hill hasn't been good. Just watch the games and you can see it. He's not an NFL quarterback. And I think this is going to be the second straight year where Sean Payton puts the Saints season in peril because he's insisting on starting Taysom Hill. I, I honestly think they should start Trevor Simeon. I was going to do a, a thoughts and prayers. I was like, thought and prayers to the Saints fans if Taysom Hill wins because then that means Taysom Hill starts a playoff game and then you just got to sit on Twitter for three and a half hours while everybody takes the absolute mickey out of you because Taysom Hill is currently playing for your team in a, in a playoff game. But I figured they'd be fine because they made the playoffs. Yeah, I'm saying they should start Trevor Simeon, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not Sean Payton. I, I don't say, know quarterbacks like Sean Payton. I of the good games Taysom Hill has played in his career, number one and number two, both game against the Atlanta Falcons last year. So Atlanta, don't do this to again. Third time's the charm. Figure out how to stop the man. Come on now. Yeah, we need we need the 49ers in the playoffs. Yes, but also the Saints defense, if they make it, I'd be like, congrats. Like, you deserve it. But also, I don't want to watch this. Steven, uh, I think this is our last one. Spoiler alert. Seahawks at Cardinals, a game which matters for the Cardinals. Playoff seating, a game which does not matter for Russell Wilson and the Seahawks at all. But it might matter for their future together. Based on how the season has been trending, I think if we get another game like we saw against Detroit last week and the offense is is humming like it's supposed to hum, I think Shane Waldron comes back. I think it's easier to convince that to convince Russ that this is going to work next year. And I think they're going to beat the Cardinals. I think they're going to beat the Cardinals. No way. What's the line? 
It doesn't matter. I think they're going to score 30 points and they're going to beat the Cardinals. <laughs> that that last week's game really, I guess the Lions gave you that much faith that the offense is better. It wasn't like the result. I mean, like putting 50 points up against any anybody is impressive. I don't care if it's the Lions. And the Lions play hard. They just beat the Cardinals a couple weeks ago and blew them out. But it was how they went about doing it. It like looked like Legion of Boom era Seattle offense. Rashad Penny was running the cutting back like Marshawn Lynch back in the day. Russ was hitting on deep shots. They were running play action, boots. It was working. And I think if it works again this week, we're not going to hear a lot of Russell Wilson trade talk in the offseason. I really think it's going to quiet down and there's going to be momentum for Seattle going into next year. I don't know if it's justified, but that's my spoiler alert is that the, the Seahawks win this game and they go on to have a peaceful offseason. I'm sure. Peaceful offseason in Seattle. That's just a very much take. I want him back. I will say in my head, if the Seahawks like Russell Pete Carroll era is coming to a close, it ending with like three amazing Rashad Penny games is just just perfect. Just, just Pete vindicated in the eleventh hour. He always knew Rashad Penny was going to be it. I don't think it's a bad take though, because like again, it, the Cardinals have choked down the stretch, and again, I think it opens up a lot of questions about Cliff. You know, even with the playoffs coming up like that, that would be a horrible loss. Designated to return from IR, JJ Watt, which Watt, you know, Watt's the sort of guy who's going to play at like fifty percent with like twelve braces on his shoulder. Which I don't know how effective he'll be, but if it's actual healthy Watt. Cardinals, like the Chargers, getting back to full strength when it matters. We are moving forward to give me a reason, which is games that have anywhere from zero to two playoff teams that generally don't matter all that much because nothing of influence is going to happen in them. Uh, we have seven on the docket. This is the final give me a reason of the year. It is also undoubtedly going to be the worst one because legitimately we know for a fact that some of these games do not matter. What would we like to start with? Let's go with uh, Steelers-Ravens. Uh, yes, the easiest one you could possibly give me because it's technically still a playoff game, idiot. <laughs> uh, Steelers have a 5% chance. Ravens have a 3% chance of going to 538 to make the playoffs. Here are the scenarios. The Steelers are in if they beat the Ravens, Indy loses to the Jaguars, and then one of Raiders-Chargers has to win. Game cannot end in a tie, which is why the tie scenario is so funny because Pittsburgh doesn't know who to root for in this scenario. There's watching Sunday Night Football, praying for someone to be leading at the end of the game. Don't care who it is. So that's their scenario. Uh, the Raiders, the Ravens, excuse me, need the same thing. Win, Indianapolis lost. Then they need the Chargers specifically to lose, and they need the Dolphins to lose slash tie against the Patriots. Uh, so you got to watch this game because of the playoff implications. Do we, though? Because the Jaguars are going to, uh, they're not going to beat the Colts. So I, I'm, I'm giving this one a buzzer. Oh. Sorry. This is why we need Jaguars to beat Colts because <laughs> it just makes the rest of the week so much more fun. I'll give you a ding, but you should have mentioned that. Ty Did you mention Tyler Huntley starting? Because that just came out. Yeah, that just came out. Yeah. Go watch more Tyler Huntley, baby. I'd rather watch Lamar, but okay. <laughs> yes, I trust me. When I was Googling, when I was Googling Lamar's availability, I wasn't hoping to see Tyler Huntley. I was hoping Lamar was going to be back. But unfortunately, he is not. Uh, if the Steelers make the playoffs, my entire family of Steelers fans is going to be insufferable, and I will never survive. What would you like next? Uh, give us your guys. Cowboys at the fighting Solak. Essen, game is on Saturday. I don't know why it is. Both the Eagles and the Cowboys are probably going to rest guys. It makes absolutely no sense, but it is the only game on. I win by default. Also, though, uh, 
the Eagles, uh, we're going to do a little bit of like a uh, record watch as best as we can here for a few of these games. Uh, a lot of the other games have better records for the Eagles. Uh, it just gives uh, Boston Scott a two rushing touchdowns against Washington. That gives them now 24 rushing touchdowns on the year. Their franchise record is 25. So you can watch to see if they set the franchise record for rushing touchdowns, but also no one of influence is going to play in this game. Sirianni is absolutely going to sit most of his guys. The Cowboys might play a, like a semi-skeleton crew to like maintain playoff seating, but there's no benefit for either team playing people, which is why oh, and there's like COVID in both locker rooms. So I again, no idea why this game is prime time, but you have to watch it. I would by default. Uh, I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to keep my uh, Saturday night open. Is it Saturday night or Saturday afternoon? I'm going to do anything else. <laughs> Either way, it seems like I'm busy. Either way, I'm available. Anyone out there? I'm going to give you a ding. I love watching NFC East matchups late in the season. Even last year when they were bad and we were saying how bad they were, they are entertaining. Oh, if you want to talk about a bad NFC East matchup, buddy, do I have the game for you later in this segment? Let's hear it right now. Well, all right. Washington at the Giants. Here's what I have uh, down for this. Three separate bullet points. If this were the last game on earth, question mark. Next bullet point. Think about how sad you are in May and June when there's no football. Let me cut you off there because I hate when people bring up that point. It's, it's a terrible point. Like... If I just ate a whole pizza and someone offered me a piece of pizza, the justification isn't, oh, well, you're going to be hungry in a week. I don't want that piece. I don't need it. I have pl- I just ate a whole thing of pizza. I know. I know it doesn't work, Stephen. I'm scraping the barrel. The third and final note I have is uh, Joe Judge decided to just get messy again because it's just what Joe Judge does at the end of the season when his team is not contending for the playoffs. Uh, and he said during his post-game rant, uh, which is just a legendary video. Everybody should watch it. That uh, our team is not uh, having fist fights on the sideline. This isn't a clown show like that. This was a week after there was a fist fight on the sidelines in the Washington football uh, team versus the Dallas Cowboys game, to which Ron Rivera responded with, like the coach speak equivalent of LOL, LMAO, like just like, I could not care less what you think about my team. Um, so watch to see if. I don't know. Joe Judge's guys get a fist fight on the sideline. I'll say this. I think this is more interesting than the Dallas-Philly game. So I'll give you a ding just for that. Wow. I'm, I'm surprised. I'll, I'm not. I'm giving you a buzzer. I'm not watching Joe Judge coach football team. Sorry. That seems Between stinks. the two of you, do you know which Giants quarterback is starting? Uh, Jake Fromm, right? State Eli Farm. Manning. You tell me, brother. I have no idea. <laughs> Four games last fall, we like. Uh, let's go with Bengals at Browns. Okay, right. So the Bengals, uh, Joe Burrow is not going to play in this game. Brandon Allen is confirmed the starter. Uh, he learned this on Tuesday when Joe Burrow texted him, quote, tag your it, end quote, I think. Uh, anyway, that's cute. Uh, Case Keenum will be starting for the Browns because Baker Mayfield is finally going on IR after successfully tanking the Browns' entire season by refusing to get shoulder surgery. Different conversation. Uh, record watch for this one. Jamar Chase, we didn't really kind of realize that he was approaching this because with two games left, he was so far behind. But after the 266-yard game, uh, Jamar Chase now has 1,429 receiving yards on the season. That is 45 yards shy of the rookie single-season receiving record, which was set in 1960 by Bill Groman of the Houston Oilers. So this record's been around for a long time, brother. 1,473 yards. Watch to see if Jamar Chase becomes the most uh, prolific rookie receiver in the last half century of NFL football. Mm, nah. Yeah, come on. It's, it, 
but Brandon Allen is throwing him the football, so it's probably not going to happen. Though I will say, uh, Zach Taylor, like they keep asking, like, will you shut Jamar Chase down? And he keeps being like, no. So I think they're going to like put him out in the first drive, fifty yards, bench him, and that's what I would do. That's smart. Um, I'm still I'm giving you a buzzer because I'm still not going to watch. But there, this might be the first record that falls that will be worth you know that extra game and i won't feel like there's an asterisk like right. jamar chase deserves that record well we're gonna do i think a couple i think i have one more record that's Pan- panthers at buccaneers which is mike evans who has seven consecutive seasons of over a thousand receiving yards which is nuts like every time you look at it you're just like that's insane uh he's the only person with that that mark and he has 54 yards shy of eight consecutive seasons with a thousand receiving yards i know for a fact that the Bucks really want to get him to this. And that's because they said he was on a pitch count against the Jets. And then he played 56 snaps. They were targeting him the whole game. They wanted him to get the record. Uh, he's 54 yards shy uh, against the Panthers. Stephon Gilmore's out with COVID. Watch to see Mike Evans continue his streak. Yeah, I'll watch this game. I want to see how the Bucks offense looks. I don't know if they're going to go like 100%, but I want to see how this this offense adjusts now that they've lost Godwin and they've lost Antonio Brown. I think those are two big losses. I know like Antonio Brown in the locker room isn't a huge loss. It's probably a positive, but I don't know this offense. It's, it's suspect now without those stars. Yeah. I'm going to watch it too, for the same reason. Like I want to see how Brady and co deal without, you know, their top receivers. And I want to see if Evans gets his record because he's someone who gets criticized a lot for being injured all the time, which he is a lot, but that record is pretty, like, that's insanity. That consistency is nuts. I can't believe I could have done an actual football reason in week 18, and I didn't do it because I just assumed it wasn't going to work. Two games left. Uh, what would we like? Packers-Lions. The Packers are saying very vehemently they would like to beat the Lions, that it's really important they start their guys. Aaron Rodgers is going to play. Devontae Adams is going to play. They're going to make sure they beat the Lions. Watch on the off chance, on the minuscule chance, that the number one seed NFC Green Bay Packers play their starters against the Lions to like, you know, stay hot and keep the momentum going and then subsequently lose to the Detroit Lions the week before the playoffs. Jared Goff is playing. Lions have been bet. Amon Ross St. Brown is good. And I, listen, if it doesn't happen, we get to watch some more Jordan Love. And that's that's fun. All right. I'm going to I'm going to give you a buzzer. But I am going to watch this game. I'm giving you the buzzer because you could have just said Jordan Love. Watch Jordan Love play football. We never get to see him play. And that would have been enough. Or right. you could have gone the typical route and said Jared Goff is going to be running for his life, which always gets me. Last time we saw Jared, Jared Goff, he was playing pretty well. He was comfy in the pocket there, Steve. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to last. Uh, yeah, I'll watch, <laughs> but you still get I'll give you a ding. You said Amon Ross St. Brown almost won me the Ringer Fantasy Championship. And I love that guy. And you wrote about, I think it was you wrote about yeah. this. I wrote about believing in the Detroit Lions. And I did not think it was going to take off. And boy, were the Detroit fans thirsty for some some copium. Because it went nuclear. Uh, so I am now quasi-Detroit fan. There are only like three-point dogs in this game. Because of the presumed Jordan Love, et cetera, et cetera. So let's end the season on a win, baby. Last game, I'm very happy this one ended last, is Bears at Vikings. Uh, here's my whole note. Will Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer fight? We've gotten so close for 17 weeks, and this may be the final chance, the final game, in which we see Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins just absolutely lay into each other on the sidelines. Because let's be honest, probably both of them not, at least one of them not going to be back next year. This is the final opportunity to see Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins fight. I gave you two buzzers on the last one. I'm going to give you two dings on this one. And honestly, <laughs> I accept this it. might be your best give me a reason, like this particular game of the season. You saved the best for last. 
because this was the only way you're going to get me to watch this game, and you nailed it. So, yes, ding for, for Ben. Yeah, I'm giving you a ding, too. Absolutely. Good reason. A very nice and appropriate way to put a bow on Gibby. Been waiting for this. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us here on the Ringer Friday preview show. It's been a fun regular season. We'll still be doing this uh, in the upcoming postseason. You'll still have me and Steven, as per usual, on the Sunday show, recapping all Week 18 action. Uh, the Tuesday player show will remain. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday show will be blended together. So we'll have Kevin, Nora, and Mallory Rubin on Wednesday for the next upcoming weeks. And then when we have these Saturday and Sunday games, we will have uh, recap pods for both individual days. So on Saturday, recapping will be Kevin, Nora, and Steven. On Sunday will be Kevin, Nora, and myself. So slightly adjusted schedule, but just subscribe to the feed and then you'll see all the shows. And you'll always be able to find myself, Steven, and Kalen previewing on Friday. So thank you to you fellas. Thank you to Chris Sutton, as always, our man behind the curtain for his production on this episode and the additional production supervision from his man behind the curtain, Arjuna Rambopol. Same time-ish, same place-ish. Next week.